It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, Joe and I are joined by Brandon Thorne. You can find him on Twitter at Brandon Thorne NFL. He is the Broncos film analyst for The Athletic, for The Athletic Denver. He is the football content manager for the Scout Academy. He's the host of the Trench Warfare podcast and contributor to USA Football. Brandon, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. I'm really excited to be here. Appreciate you having me on. And for those that don't know as well. Brandon, he is, for me, the best at producing on offensive line content and making it digestible. Uh, I started reading Brandon probably like four or five years ago. So if, you, if you're not aware of him, go follow him on Twitter at Brandon Thorne NFL. Uh, I think not just knowledge-wise, Brandon, but the way you show it with clips and gifs and, and put it in your articles, I think you are the best. And honestly, I think you've taught me or or have directed me more than anybody else in terms of offensive line evaluation. So I just want to say personally, thank you for joining us. Dude, that's uh, you're you're really kind, man. I really appreciate that coming from you. Another guy, you know. I mean, Joe, we've been following each other for years, and I mean, your Twitter account is is what I would call elite as well. So I I'll love take following that. you. <laughs> And, put that uh, on my yeah. tombstone. Thank you. <laughs> it's yeah, likewise. So I appreciate it. We're gonna have to update the bio for the show. Joe Goodberry, Brandon Thorne, quote elite, elite Testimonials. Twitter, <laughs> put it elite on there. Twitter account. Joe Goodberry. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, uh, are there any of your projects that you'd like to tell our listeners a little bit more about? I know you've got that podcast going on that I would like to point people toward if they want to educate themselves on offensive line play. Again, that's Trench Warfare. It sounds like you just had on a really cool guest in Bill Bedenbaugh, the Oklahoma sorry, offensive line coach. Right, yeah. And then the week before that, I had on Washington State's offensive line coach, Mason Miller, and we got to talk about Andre Dillard. Um, I've had on Mitchell Schwartz and Joe Staley and um, Teron Armstead and just I I really focus on players and coaches, but I, I do get some analysts on there as well. But yeah, it's all about offensive line and I try to get in some defensive line here and there, but it's primarily O-line and yeah, I've been doing it for a few months now and um, it's it's going really well, I think. And I, I try to do a weekly show um, throughout the year, so yeah, if you you know anybody who wants to listen to that, it's on iTunes, Stitcher, 
Spotify, all those types of places. So that's that's definitely a, a big thing that I have going on that's um, you know weekly. And then I write for The Athletic as of just last month. So uh, I cover the Denver Broncos with them. And um, yeah, those are pretty much the two primary places you could find me. Brandon, uh, before we jump directly into the Bengals and their offensive line and who they drafted, obviously with the 11th pick, Jonah Williams, uh, you just because just you mentioned Andre Dillard, were you surprised mm-hmm. he went a little bit later? He, leading up to it, we kind of, I think most Bengals fans expected Jonah to be gone. We kind of started to lean towards a potential Dillard pick at 11, and he ends up going uh, much later than I think a lot of people expected. What did you think there? Yeah, actually, for me, I thought that's right where he should have went, to be honest. I I really liked him, but maybe not as much as some some other guys did. Like, you know, I listened to the podcast that you were on with Josh Norris and Ted Wynn and, you know, Dane and Ben. And, uh, you know, I know you guys were, were very high on him. So I wasn't quite there with him, although I totally understood that position based on, you know, his full profile and what he did and his athletic profile and things like that. I just... I was a little bit of a little hesitant to give him like that top 10 type of grade. I gave him a late first, early second. I thought ideally this is somebody you bring along slowly initially and he could be a very good to elite player soon after that. But I thought ideally you get him into a situation where he didn't have a lot of pressure on him right away just because I thought the transition for him would be a little bit more the learning curve would be a little bit more steep for him than somebody like Jonah Williams because of the level of competition what he was asked to do the system he played in those type of things so I thought you know in an ideal scenario you get him later on and I thought he went to the best possible spot I was gonna say Um, so I was really excited that it worked out like that for him because he doesn't have pressure to play. He's going into a a great offensive line room with, you know, multiple all pros in there that uh, that have played his position. Um, and then a great offensive line coach in Jeff Stoutland. So he's, you know, he's in a great spot. I think he's going to be really good. Speaking of coaches, and I do want to ask you as well, what your general top three was for offensive tackles in the draft. So let's start there. And then before we talk about the individual players on the Bengals, if you know anything about Jim Turner, I would love to get your take there. Yeah, so my top three offensive linemen in the draft, Jonah Williams was number one. I had Cody Ford. uh, Actually, excuse me, I had Jawan Taylor number two. And then I had Cody Ford right after him. Although it's kind of, there's a caveat there. I liked Cody Ford a little bit more at guard. Mm. Although I still had him as the number three tackle, just slightly above Dillard. Um, but yeah, I had him all with a first round grade. I mean, Jonah and Jawan. Jonah was kind of in his own tier a little bit for me. And then Jawan Taylor was just right below him a little bit. And then Ford was a late first round. And then Dillard was like late first, early second. So that's kind of how my, my top four went, I guess, um, as far as that goes. And then the offensive line coach, uh, question. I don't have a. I haven't done a lot of research on him to be honest, so I, I don't really uh, know a whole lot about him as as far as like his track record of development and stuff like that. So I, you know, I can't really go too in depth on that. Fair enough. Um, yeah, a follow up to that though. Uh, Dalton Reisner, we liked him a lot. He ended yep. up going to Denver, which you're going to eventually write about. Write about Dalton Reisner, I'm sure. And the reports were the Bengals tried to trade up in the second round. I mean, when Taylor was still there, Cody Ford, Dalton Reisner, 
you know, for me, I think if they would have went back to back with offensive tackle, that really would have been a, a testament to really fixing this offensive line. But how did you feel about Dalton Reisner? I know you, you'll probably talk about him to, to for the rest of your career, but uh, you know, yeah. what did you think he was a tackle, and did you think he should have gone high second round, or I thought he should go a little bit higher than that. Yeah, I thought he should have probably went a little bit higher than that. I had him as the fifth best overall offensive lineman in the draft because prior to the draft, I didn't get to go super deep on the class. So um, I, I've watched probably about 20 guys. So I came up with the top 10 overall offensive line list that I put out. And he was number five for me behind some of those guys we mentioned. And yeah, I actually liked him most at guard, though. Um, and that's. I know that he executed his assignments at a very high level at tackle, but um, I still felt like with what I saw in his technique, he, I thought he had a little bit of a false step in his pass set that didn't, obviously it didn't really hurt him much at all. Um, but I thought at the next level, handling speed off the edge and obviously a, a big jump in competition, I it kind of gave me a little bit of pause. It's not like I thought this guy couldn't play tackle and I totally understand the thinking of, you know, let him prove they can't play their college position before you move them. I understand that. And I, for the most part, agree with it. But I also look at it like I want the player to play the position where I think he can have the biggest immediate impact and long-term impact. And I think for Dalton Reisner, I think that's a guard. I just think he's a plug-and-play guard who the, the athletic ability that he does have, the play strength, his hand usage – how good he is as a run blocker, all that stuff I just thought would be – he would have a bigger impact inside. So I had him as a guard first and then a tackle second. Interesting. I know we, we ended up with a pretty high grade on Reisner in our tackle rankings. So it's interesting yeah. to hear as, – as well as on the other side of the coin, it's interesting to say – to hear you say that you prefer Cody Ford at guard because that was that was my thing. The whole – draft process people are pumping up Cody Ford as a tackle the Bengals are talking you know Dave Lapham's talking about Cody Ford as a tackle in consideration at 11 and it sounds like the Bengals if they didn't get Jonah Williams might have gone forward at 11 or or Chris Lindstrom apparently was the other option as has been reported somewhere I don't remember the source this week um but it's interesting to hear you vindicate my opinion that Cody oh, Ford that's would be what best used for. At guard. yeah that's all <laughs> that's I want funny. We're talking about kicking all these guys in the guard and they end up with Jonah Williams, who a lot of people thought should be a guard. So let's let's jump yeah. right into Jonah. You loved him. Um, yep. Why? And and why is he a tackle and not a guard? Yeah, so for Jonah Williams, I mean, I guess you got to start with the fact that he had 44 starts in the SEC at tackle, right and left, which I really liked about him to have that versatility. He played a lot of really good competition, obviously. And just his makeup, not only in, in those regards, but also I really liked uh, just all the things, you know, I got to meet him at the combine, talk to him a little bit, and just all the things that I was able to learn about him from people that would know. I had his offensive line coach on my podcast, Brent Key. Uh, he's the offensive line coach of Georgia Tech right now, but just got to talk to some people who've trained him, who've coached him, and just I really felt like this kid is special. In turn, and I think it's been put out there by various people on Twitter as well in terms of his preparation, work ethic, his smarts, football intelligence, all that kind of stuff is just through the roof. So with that and the level of competition he played, the way he performed, all that stuff really made me comfortable with him staying at tackle. 
And physically, he wasn't. It, it wasn't very concerning to me as it was with other people if he could survive or, or do well at tackle. I've seen you know there's undersized guys similar to him that have done really well. You know, I think of a guy like David Bakhtiari, who is definitely undersized, coming out of Colorado, uh, doesn't have you know the the measurables that you ideally want for the position but i could see jonah William, jonah winning in similar ways to him which is primarily with technique and i think that that's where jonah williams is going to be able to hang his hat on the most to be a good offensive tackle in the nfl is his technique i think is phenomenal i mean you look at his feet and his hands i think they're both really really good and um, you look at mental processing, how quickly he can diagnose what the defense wants to do to him, what pass rushers want to do to him, um, competitive toughness. Um, his anchor, I think, is really, really good. So I don't I think he plays the game really fast, you know, and d- despite maybe above average athletic ability, which is kind of what I saw on film. I know that the combine may have said a little bit differently, but I just thought he had enough of the physical traits that you want to see. And then the the more nuanced stuff like what he's what he does with his mind, what he does with his hands um, and things like that. I think just I, I think he's going to be a really good player right away. And I, I was really comfortable with how high his floor was. And for offensive linemen, that that to me is really important because I I don't feel super comfortable in today's NFL banking on a guy on what he could be as opposed to what he what I feel like he will be right away. And I still think that he has enough of a high a high enough of a ceiling to warrant where he went in the draft. I don't think he's going to be obviously he's not Tyron Smith, Trent Williams, anything like that. But I think he could be a very good tackle pretty much right away for a long time. So um, there's a lot to like about his game. And I, you know, I, I watched a lot of his tape and I don't know. I just felt really comfortable with him. I, I love that you say that last part, too, that the high floor, because yeah. fresh off the Bengals taking Cedric Aboyhe and Jake Fisher at tackle, guys that were probably low floor, high ceiling, you know, yeah, in terms of weird. development. Hopefully they make that hit that potential. They definitely had to go more safe, and I think they did that last year also with Billy Price. But getting Jonah Williams on the on the safe end, and I never like to call any prospect that, but I did feel that way with Jonah that the floor there, uh, because of his mental mental aptitude and and his preparation, just like you said. Uh, but do you think offensive line is where I'm trying to go? Do you think offensive line it's more key there? than other positions it's harder to find these guys that do everything uh, on the offensive line uh, rather than and you know from the college level to the nfl whether they don't put their hand down or it's just everything's uh, spread out or an andre dillard where you're in pass protection 90 percent of the game um so it's real hard to find a guy who's done everything the way jonah williams has and i think that had to have uh, increased his value a little bit yeah, definitely. I think offensive line, probably more than any other position, it's it's about what you just said. And there's not a lot of programs out there that present that to NFL teams that, that mold guys in that way. And really, you look at the SEC first because of the level of competition that they're facing. I think that's a huge part of it. You want to see guys face in college Sunday type of players as much as you can. And when you look at Jonah Williams' track record of film going back to 2016 as a true freshman, there's a lot of Sunday players that he faced. And that helps you kind of bridge that gap and make it less of a projection, I think, which is obviously really helpful in any evaluation. 
And yeah, with offensive line, just in general, the way it is in the NFL, I think there's not a whole lot of development going on unless you go to one of these places like Philadelphia with Jeff Stoutland, uh, Denver with Mike Munchak, New England with Dante Skarnakia. I think there might be two, three, four other places where it's just like a safe haven kind of for offensive line where you, you go, you're, you're insulated with really good players. You have a coach who can teach you technique on top of scheme. I just don't think there's a lot of places like that. So when we're doing evaluations for all 32 teams, like we do, I feel more comfortable with the guys that have a high floor in terms of giving them a better grade than a guy who, who, who needs to go to a specific spot in order to reach his potential, which I thought somebody like Dillard, you know, he relied more on that than Jonah. And that's a, that's a big reason why I felt that way. And I've been burned in the past on going with potential, like, um, like Garrett Bowles, for instance, I gave him a second round grade coming out, like almost a first, um, it could have been worse, but still I, I gave him a second round grade because I was like, man, this guy, his athletic ability on the field, he's nasty. And you know what? He'll learn his technique. He'll refine that. He'll he'll shore that up. You know, I just I just kind of assume that. And I I learned, you know, a lesson from that, that and not saying, you know, this isn't a one on one thing with everybody. But just generally, when you have guys like that who are missing the technique piece or missing the level of competition piece or that aren't very experienced, like those type of things for me, man, are they're just hard to to have a lot of confidence in when you're giving a grade to a guy. Yeah, that's that all. It, I think it does, and I think it resonates with Bengals fans, like Joe said, coming off of the the combination of Jake Fisher and Cedric Abuehi that flamed out and coming back and getting a guy yeah. with refined technique. Uh, I do wonder, you mentioned his size and not being concerned about his size. I wonder if... Yeah. The, the athletic testing is of any concern to you, but I would like to get into that after we take just a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk about whether the combination of size and athleticism, the athletic testing anyway, is of any concern to you, uh, which it sounds like you think his athleticism plays better on tape. So we'll be right back, and then we'll get back into what the potential pitfalls and maybe what the high-end outcome for Jonah Williams is right after this. We know it can be hard to find the right people to hire, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. And that place is ZipRecruiter. Check it out at ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on because our listeners right now can try it for free. If you need to be sold, ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards all at the same time, and they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find the people with the right experience and invite them proactively to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. In fact, it's so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, Locked On Bengals listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. At this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We have offensive line expert Brandon Thorne on with us today. And we've been talking about Jonah Williams pretty much the entire time. And Jake had a question before uh, we went on break. And it was, how much concern, Brandon, do you have when a guy may have average athleticism and uh, testing and average size the way Jonah Williams did? I think that was really the only knock people had on him right was eh, he's just barely 300 probably most of the time uh 33 and, and, and a half inch arms and and uh you know just an average athlete in terms of testing when you see that you say yeah but I think his tape that isn't an issue because I think some people would say lengthwise Cleveland Farrell gave him some issues uh but did you ever see athleticism really being an issue with him on tape no I don't think I did honestly I, I think it was as much as we're talking about how good his technique is I think a lot of the losses that I saw on tape were because his technique was a little off and I mentioned those things in the report actually um, in the summary portion there's a couple things that I was a little bit concerned about that I saw pop up a few times on tape and one of the big things was he has a tendency when he's facing guys who want to you know execute an inside counter on him he can he, he he's not great I would say are not, you know, extremely consistent about there's something in off offensive line play called a power step. Mm-hmm. So it's really just stepping with that inside foot to cut off an inside counter, as opposed to just putting an arm out and trying to like catch a guy. Cause obviously, you know, we're, we offensive linemen, they block people with their feet, not their hands. That's where it starts. At least you have to get your hips and your hands in front of a guy if you want to block them. And I think some of the times, um, when guys execute a really good in, inside counter, like a hard outside jab step, and they go inside with a rip or a, a club or whatever, I saw probably four or five times on tape in multiple games where he gives up his inside because he bails out with that inside foot and he tries to just use his arm and his shoulder to block a guy. That type of stuff is a little bit concerning to me. That's not athleticism to me. That's just you need to get better at defending against inside counters. Mm-hmm. And then another thing when he gets on an island against rushers with a really good first step, he tends to be a little bit late with that outside hand. And if you can visualize it, if you're you know on an island and you throw that outside hand and you're late, that corner is basically the rushers. And you, you really aren't going to be able to recover from that very well. So those two small areas, um, they're big areas, but I didn't see them a ton on tape. But those two little things, I think he can shore up and be even better in pass protection. And then the, uh, you know, the the Pharrell game against the Clemson, um, 
definitely not a, a great game for him. I think there was probably three or four reps where he lost pretty handily to him. One of them, though, if you remember the one where he got basically run over, that was kind of a fluky play in my opinion because he was trying this like snatch type of move right at the snap and he failed and he just let him get into his chest and he just got run over. And then there was a couple on the edge where he was one-on-one with him where, you know, Pharrell's long arm just was too much for him to handle. I think, you know, Pharrell had really good hand usage. He has good length. He's a good player. I mean, losing those reps in, you know, obviously the national spotlight are going to, I think it got a little bit overplayed, to be honest, because when you watch nine, 10 games of him, like I did, uh, you just don't see that type of stuff. Granted, there's not a lot of players on that level either that he faced, but but I don't know. I just I didn't get super concerned about athletic ability to answer your question at, at much at all with him on tape. I know when you look at his say like his mock draftable, you know, spider web thing, it, it's it's not pretty. But you know, I mean that to me when you factor in the tape, it just especially for offensive linemen, I just don't put a lot of weight into it when the tape is so good especially against really good competition and all the other things that Jonah has going for him. Um, and then arm length, that doesn't bother me at all because, I mean, I think 33 is a new 34 in terms of the benchmark for offensive linemen. There's 10 to 12 offensive tackles right now who are starting, who have 33 and change arms, who are really good, or at least I would say solid or better. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I, the the arm length thing, definitely not at all. Um, obviously you want to see a guy's spider chart look a lot better than that, but I don't know. I I just, that's why, you know, you're not going to see him maybe ever be that elite type of guy. Um, but if, if you get a very good guy at 11, I think you're happy in the long run. Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know if you Jake heard the very beginning of that because he was, uh, knocking around his strainer. It sounded like in the background, (laughs) but, uh, he gave us some good things to look out for, Jake, in terms of where Jonah may lose in the future. And I just wanted to add, also, if you're losing to Cleveland Farrell and he ends up going, well, a lot of people thought it was a, it was a bit of a reach, but he goes fourth overall. Yeah. Well, that's not, you know, something to really hang your head on right there. That you know, you're losing to a guy who goes top five. Uh, but I also will. We said this too originally at the combine. With we were listing all the guys that have had sub 34 inch arms that are playing at tackle, and there's we kind of. Yeah, there is. And we kind of thought, is it time to let that old standard die? I mean, we've got edge rushers now that are 6'1", 6'2", right? How do you combat that? You may need some shorter, less, you know, not ideally you don't want them to be, have less length, but I think that is the counter. And what we're seeing, the cause and effect here, is those those uh, tackles need to be able to keep up with them. So they may be uh, more, athlete, more athletic at, at the cost of being those big lurch-type tackles that we used to see in the past. But those old school guys will tell you you just need a fullback and and you're good to go. Fullback, 34-inch arms all day. Let's go. Wing team. Triple option. Some some of those 33 numbers or some of those players with 33-inch arms like Ryan Ramsick, Jake Matthews, Joe Staley, Dwayne Brown, Mitchell Schwartz, David Bakhtiari, um, those are all good players. I mean, Rob Havenstein, Brian Bulaga. Jason yeah. Peters. So, I mean, you know, the list goes on. That's we really saw Caleb list. McGarry in the first round, and he had 32 and some change. And yeah, that was... I mean, he's almost six, he's six seven, and he's a really good athlete. So I'll be very interested to see how McGarry's career goes with... I mean, not not, not only does he have short arms, he has really short arms for, the, for a tackle. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's that's where you start to if it's sub 33, that's when I think you could start to have some some legit questions about it for sure. Not much of a track record there. Before we move on to Michael Jordan, I just wanted to point out another take on that play that everyone talks about with Clellan Farrell running through Jonah Williams is Mike Renner points out that Jonah knocks down Farrell's inside arm and then Farrell Mm -hmm. kind of falls. And, and I think that when he kind of stumbles and trips, that caught Jonah Williams off guard and he kind of beat himself a little bit at that point, which I thought was an interesting take that I hadn't noticed until I watched it probably five and, more times. That's the same and I, I wanted to add also, there's plenty of plays in that matchup too where um, Farrell comes in with that long arm, the inside arm, and Jonah, you can see him squat and just uh, sink, the, sink his hips and his ass, and man, he anchors on it, and his feet even drive through the grass a little bit, but he stops Farrell. Yeah. So I, there was a lot of, that was a great matchup. I think that is the game to watch in terms of, okay, he may struggle with this, but also look at him against this guy who ends up going top five. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That was a great, great matchup to watch, and his anchor is one of my favorite things about him. So that's, you know, that, that that's really impressive. It's too bad Terrell Suggs isn't around the AFC North anymore to watch that matchup because that'd be a fun one. But I think he's in Arizona now? Question mark. Yep. So they'll yeah. play him anyway. They play, yeah. And Andrew Whitworth Suggs was such a great matchup oh, that was, for that was well, almost ten years. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk, Michael Jordan. let's talk Michael Jordan. Brandon watched tape on Michael Jordan all day today. He's probably watched more than Joe and I combined <laughs> at this point. So let's no, talk I... about Michael Jordan. Is he going to be the future Clint Bowling of the Cincinnati Bengals? Is he going to be better? Is he going to be worse? What's the prognosis? Well, I mean, Bowling has been playing for a long time, and you know, not that he's ever been much more than above average, but it's hard to to peg him in and say he's going to be better than that or at least have a better career I'm I'm not sure that I would say that but I definitely think he has a good shot at being a starter within the next couple of years I I watched four games of him today two two from 2017 and two from 2018 because I wanted to see him at guard mm-hmm. and uh, it's pretty cool that you know he obviously played alongside Billy Price in 2017 at left guard and we may say see that in the future um, but I liked him a little bit more at guard honestly I I mean, you look at his body type and everything. He's, it's pretty rare for a guy six foot six to play center, and he he does. I think it was probably highlighted a little bit more on that 2018 film of him playing a little bit high. Yeah, I think you you definitely saw that in the two games that I watched. I watched uh, Michigan and Maryland, and um, the Michigan game, man, I, I thought was pretty rough for him. And uh, at least 2018, he was better at, in 2017 at guard, but 2018. Um, that was the first tape I started and I, I was kind of down on him right away. Just, I, I didn't like how high he was playing, but more than anything, and I think this is my biggest concern. I'll start with that first was, is his hand usage. I just, I think he's uh, a little bit lackadaisical with his hands. I guess you could say a little bit sloppy. Um, just the timing of when he strikes guys. I think it, he's late a little too often. I think he's a little bit too wide. He lets guys get into his chest a little bit too easily because of that. Um, He doesn't really control guys that well, I don't think, with his hands. His grip strength isn't very great, in my opinion. Um, Those things were concerning. I think just from a physical standpoint is really where you start to get uh, intrigued with him, just his size, his athleticism, I know he tested really well. I think that somewhat translates to the field. I mean, I know he's more of a linear, explosive type of guy, 
and you know at least testing wise and I, I didn't really see that a whole lot on film he's a good combo blocker which I think pretty much all Ohio State interior offensive linemen are um, at this point at least the last two three years I mean they're all pretty adept at you know uh, getting really good fits at that first level and driving guys off the ball with you know the guard or the center so I think he's a good combo blocker a good first level run defender he's more of a position blocker I think than a guy who's going to drive guys off the ball even though with a vert and a broad jump like his you would think that he's going to be really driving guys off the ball I just I didn't see that a whole lot I thought he was just more of a position guy which there's nothing wrong with that I mean he could still be a, a good run blocker doing that um, I, I think you see the athleticism more than anything when he pulls. He had a really, uh, he had a couple really nice pulls where he looked really athletic. Um, I've just heard though too that he's he's a physical specimen just in general, just his body type and things like that. So that stuff's encouraging. But on film, I just I wasn't blown away by him. I mean, you know, he's a fourth round pick, so I, you know, it's not you know you're not really expecting anything great necessarily. I know his testing probably boosted him up a little bit. He he started a lot of games at Ohio State, which is encouraging. The last three years, I believe he was the first true freshman to start since Orlando Pace. So obviously the the coaches there had a lot of uh, belief in him and um, things like that. But but yeah, I, I I just saw him better as a guard. I think that fits his body type better. It fits his game a little bit better. I think in pass protection, when he can get his hands on guys quickly, he's better. You don't want to hit. You don't want him isolated in pass protection. I think uh, obviously those guys, those defensive ends who can kick into three technique, and then even the quicker three techniques could give him a lot of problems because he does play a little bit high and because his hands are a little bit late and a little bit inaccurate. So I think he's a better run blocker than a pass blocker. Um, but there's stuff to work with there in terms, you know, physically all that stuff is is really impressive. He's a good guy that you take a shot on at day three I think for sure because he had a lot of starts he has good experience and he has the physical traits that you want to see so um yeah I mean overall I'm kind of lukewarm on him I, I think it's a I think it's a good fourth round pick though I mean you know just all things considered I certainly hope that was the case I, I remember tweeting right after the pick that I wasn't in love with it just because I wanted something impactful to happen and I didn't see yeah. much impactful drafting happening for the Bengals besides Jermaine Pratt and, and Jonah Williams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. We do need to take another quick break, and then I think we'll wrap up with Brandon with just a talk about Billy Price and the rest of the Bengals' offensive line and how it might look in 2019. They've put a lot of investment into this position group, and we're all expecting improvement. We talked about it with Mike yesterday, and we're going to touch on it again today, and we'll just get to that after a quick break. Guys, let's talk about sex. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up as twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Let me tell you, we get free samples, and if you think Marshawn Lynch has a good stiff arm, you've seen nothing yet. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. 
Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code Locked On to try it free. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Bengals podcast. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card this lockdown podcast is brought to you by home chef now that the novelty of the new year has dwindled down how are your resolutions coming one of mine was to order less takeout cook more at home but i'll be honest i haven't been consistent that is until i found home chef home chef provides fresh ingredients and chef designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify the cooking experience and without robbing you of the joy of putting a dish together yourself. I'm Pescatarian, and they cater to a variety of dietary needs. I had this super refreshing ginger sesame salmon, a beautiful trout dish, and a super comforting shrimp and vegetable orzo dish, all of which took me less than 30 minutes to put together. For a limited time right now, Home Chef is offering all of our listeners 18 free meals, plus free shipping on your first box, and Free dessert for life at homechef.com slash locked on. That's homechef.com slash locked on for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash locked on must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Welcome back to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We're going to continue our conversation with Brandon Thorne and jump right into now over the last calendar year, really. Uh, they've added Cordy Glenn, Billy Price, Jonah Williams, John Miller, um, yeah, I guess we, we could say uh, about Michael Jordan and retained Bobby Hart. But how do you feel? That's a lot of investment. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of draft capital, right? How do you feel this offensive line should shake out? How, what do you think about Billy Price going into year two? Uh, overall thoughts on on what this O-line probably looks like heading into 2019. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think it's going to be improved because you add Jonah Williams. That's a massive upgrade over Bobby Hart. Uh, obviously I think that's, it's pretty, that's a given. So I, I like your tackle situation. I think Cordy Glenn could still give you a solid year or two, um, you know, given his injury history and, and, and things like that. I still think, you know, I could see a solid year from him inside is where it gets interesting. I mean, bowling has been there for a while. I think he's a left guard for sure. And then, you know, Billy Price, I, I like Billy Price. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't see him ever being elite. Um, obviously, I don't really think even very good. I think that might be a little bit above where his ceiling is, but I think he could be good for a long time. Last year, I think it's really important with offensive linemen to and just players in general. You have to look at what they did in the offseason. Are they hurt? And if they are hurt in the offseason, that means that the things that they were supposed to be working on in the offseason, like you know, technique, getting stronger, those things don't get to happen when you're dealing with injury. I know he tore his pec at the combine, then he had a foot injury. He may have had other stuff. So when you take away a player's first offseason as a pro, they're behind the curve. I mean, and and even just any offseason. I, I talked to Teron Armstead earlier in the or last season, and he told me 
the reason why he came out this year as strongly as he did and he had the best year of his career and was an all-pro is because he had an offseason for the first time in three years. Hmm. He said that was by far the biggest reason because in the beginning of the season when he didn't have an offseason, he was using that time to get caught up on little technique stuff as opposed to the offseason where he was just trying to get healthy. He couldn't work on all that other stuff in the offseason because of that. So I think that's important context to consider with Billy Price. Um, but still, I I, I, I I thought he showed a lot of good things on film. He definitely wasn't um, as consistent as you want to see. I think some of that lower half stuff affected the way that he played the game, some of his strength, his power, the things that he was renowned for at Ohio State. Because, I mean, really, he wins his bread and butter. He's a, he's a run blocker. I mean, he's really smart as a pass protector, I think. He doesn't, he's not a great athlete. Um, he doesn't have, you know, long arms. So he has to be really precise with his technique. And I think um, his quickness has to be there. I, I didn't see it as much in pass protection last year. But, um, he, you know, he, he wins as a run blocker, driving guys off the ball, setting a tone and being really smart in terms of IDing things that defenses are doing. I think that's just how he's going to win. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I like Billy Price. I thought he had, all things considered, an okay year last year, and I think he's going to have a good year next year. I mean, assuming he's healthy and all that. So, and then John Miller. That would be a Miller, big boost, huh? Yeah, for sure. I, I'm i excited to, to see what Billy Price does because I thought the offensive line class last, last year was really good, and we – and we didn't get to see a guy like Billy Price at 100%. We didn't get to see Isaiah Wynn and some other guys. So I think that class and this class are really good. And um, right, right guard, I, I like John Miller. I um, I thought he had the best year of his career for sure. I think it was 2016 under Aaron yeah. Cromer yeah. before he went to the Rams. So I think Cromer got a lot out of him. And you could, if you really want to see what Miller can be, I think you look at that film. Um, if he can get back to that, I'm not sure. But I think he... He could be a solid player for you at right guard. Um, and, you know, I, I know you guys know more than me, but I don't know what's going on with Christian Westerman. I was, I really liked him coming out. Um, I know we've talked about it, Joe, a little bit, that maybe the mental side of things, he can't be trusted, whatnot. I don't know. But I've always liked him. So I don't know. It seems like he's kind of a lost cause at this point. But yeah. maybe maybe he can give Miller, you know, some competition at right guard. We'll we see. hope so. We're hoping. Because well, we've been asking the same questions. Staff. We've been asking the same questions for the last three years. Are we are we pulling another Evan Mathis on ourselves in Cincinnati? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that yeah, man, that's a name. They had Evan Mathis and they were playing Nate Livings instead because Mathis was kind of an oddball. And, you know, personality wise. And he, he showed yeah. that once he became, you know, who he was with, with the Eagles. Everyone saw yeah, yeah, he's character, but uh, I hope play. that's not the case. Well, yeah, right. He makes your Westerman, team when he's been in there, we've seen – I mean, I know I've well. highlighted a couple really nice – I mean, he's done some really impressive things. Yes. So. I think he's been probably their best offensive lineman when he's been on the field for the, like, 40 snaps in the last two years. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a little more than that. But, yes, you're right. I, I would agree. He's been their best guard for sure. And since they haven't yeah. had great tackle play, you could say he's been their best lineman. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe I would love to see him push John Miller and, and you know, I think right guard is a between him, Miller and Redmond, that's definitely the I think the one open spot on the line. Yeah, and hopefully you, someone emerges. If you ask the Bengals beat writers too, you would hear that bowling doesn't have a clear roster spot right now. And so well, 
Trey Hopkins also. Yeah, Trey Trey Hopkins that got a second-round tender for them, and he's backing up pretty much every position on that offensive line. He was an undrafted free agent five years ago that we really liked and has had a lot of injuries, but has been able to back up all over the offensive line, and I think that's probably where he ends up. But for the time under Marvin Lewis, the Bengals only saw Westerman as a left guard and wouldn't give him many chances of right guard until late last year. So who knows what the new coaching staff's going to do with, with Jim Turner coming from Miami and Texas A&M. It'll be really interesting to see how that works out. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm going to be fascinated to see how that interior plays out. That's interesting that bowling might, you know, that people are saying that he might not have a roster spot. I just think a guy like that, I mean, obviously he's not much more than, I know he's been above average at times, but maybe now he's just average or adequate. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know who's going to really take his spot. I'm looking at the depth chart now, and I just, I don't right. know. I mean, I'd be kind of surprised. We're with we'll you, see. but but this is the talk. The talk is he has $4 million <laughs> yeah, dollars of, of no penalty to cut him, or maybe four and a half, and okay. he, yeah. he's, he's the only holdover from the last and, time the Bengals right. were good. I think we say we'd be surprised a lot with the Bengals, and then we're not surprised when they do it, when they extend Bobby Hart, or when they play Alex Redman the entire year at right guard. I mean, there's so many times, and hopefully that was the last staff, right? Hopefully that doesn't continue and fresh eyes brings, you know, honest opinions back to this to this uh, well, we evaluation. Bl- we blame Paul Alexander for that last time, and now that he's out in the wild world of Twitter, like I said yesterday, he <laughs> seems to be pretty on it. And then Frank Pollock comes in, and he's still not playing Christian Westerman. So we've gone through this staff overhaul on the offensive line too. There's some reason for hope because it's a full staff overhaul. If any of it was coming from Marvin Lewis, which I think we've heard from sources that may or may not know that it, it might have been. So that'll mm-hmm. be okay. It'll be interesting, interesting to see if the head coaching change changes anything. Yeah, I hope so, because I think Westerman could be something if if he got a shot. But, you know, I guess we'll see. He can be Evan Mathis for the Philadelphia Eagles in 2020. Don't do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to relive that. Neither do I. Man, what a recurring nightmare that would be. At a very specific position with a very specific, like, same set of skill levels. Man, that would be wild. Yeah, that would be. That's That's kind of eerie to think about. What what do you guys think, just real quick, I just was just curious, what do you guys think, I mean, with Andrew Whitworth and how you guys let him go, I mean, is it viewed in Cincinnati as just like as huge, like just gaff basically, like I think it is? Yes. Well, except for for the fans, so there's this group of fans, and if I'm talking about you, I'm sorry, I don't mean anything bad by this, but there's a group of fans that will rationalize anything the team does, right? If that's drafting Drew Sample in the second round, if that's letting Whitworth walk, they'll say, you know what, he was 38 years old in a tackle. Who knows what he has left in the tank? Or, right. But, or they drafted a boy, he and Fisher. They had right, to play those right. guys. They, they <laughs> had to play you, him. You don't have to, not right. if they're bad. <laughs> I mean, and when the Melissa Whitworth story came out about how it just all went down, where yeah. Whitworth was like dying to stay in Cincinnati and would have needed a couple more million dollars here or there, and since he didn't get it, L.A. has a chance to swoop in there with an offer he can't refuse, which in retrospect, I mean – you're laughing if you're paying Andrew Whitworth that money if you're the Bengals the last two years. And yeah, I think that at least we universally see it as a, as an albatross. I'll go on to go as far as to say that. <laughs> it's yeah. a direct symbol for why they had the the poor years they just had back back to back really because it, it, it's 
bad enough to take Obwehi and Fisher back to back. And I was not high on Obwehi at all. I had a third day three grade on him uh, for many reasons. I, I thought he was a, a complete waste or or a projection, I should say. Um, but and then to double down on it by letting Whitworth and Kevin Zeitler in the same offseason go. It's yeah. why they made that bed, and they they laid in it, and they laid in a shit bed. All right, Brandon. Before we let you go, last question. This can be a really quick. One. Joe and I went through the schedule a couple of days ago and set the Bengals over under six and a half, which I think is very close to what Vegas has, if not exactly what Vegas has. I'm not really sure, but where would you go, over or under, on the Bengals in 2019? Six and a half wins. Oh man, um, you know I would, I'd probably go. I I really like six, but I probably I would have to go under. Yeah, honestly, Fair yeah. Enough. Just looking at their schedule, um, and what do you guys? I, I think you guys play the NFC South and what the NFC West. NFC West, AFC East. East. Yeah. Okay, I saw the Rams in there, but yeah, that's just kind of a random one. But yeah. But yeah um, or no, that's NFC West. Excuse me. Yeah. So NFC West. I mean, I think that's going to be tough to, to to get a win. I mean, Seattle in Seattle. I mean, I know you're hosting the 49ers. Uh, I don't know. It's just tough to see a lot of wins. Uh, definitely at the Rams. It, I mean, yeah, I'd probably go under, man. Honestly, it's 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 hey, tough to fair. see. That's fair. Uh, yep. Yesterday, Mike Renner took the over, saying that the talent on the team is there if they can stay healthy. But we've seen that they can't stay healthy for two years, right. so there's no reason to think that that's going to change. Right? Yeah. I mean, I really like some pieces that you guys have. Obviously, I I think the defensive line. You know, I really. I mean, anytime you have Geno Atkins and Carl Lawson, I'm I'm a fan of of, of that. I mean, there's pieces in place for sure. It's just I, I have a hard time seeing it be a complete. You know, on especially on that side. So, If only Bill Belichick were the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals, we could have a little bit more faith. Brandon, it has been a treat having you tell us about Michael Jordan, Jonah Williams, Billy Price, and the rest of the Bengals' offensive line. We're very appreciative that you could take the time to join the podcast tonight, and I hope we talk to you again in the future. Yeah, me too, guys. This was fun, and anytime you want me to come on, I'll be happy to do so. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Brandon. That'll do it for the Lockdown Bengals podcast today. Tomorrow we are back with your questions and we'll open up the mailbag, get those questions into us by Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern for a chance of getting them answered on air. I believe we had a winner of last week's question contest, so also check out the custom. We've standardized our theme music. We'll have a fan submission for tomorrow's theme music. That aside, we thank Brandon again for joining us on the podcast today. We thank our sponsors, Blue Chew and ZipRecruiter. You can get both of those for free using promo code LOCKEDON or at ZipRecruiter.com slash LOCKEDON. Hope you check those offers out. Hope you find those useful. Until next time, Bengals fans, have a good one. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.